Welcome to the 195th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Tom and Irene Franson have been raising crops and livestock in northeastern Iowa since the 1970s and are recognized nationally for their creative use of sustainable farming practices. They have never been afraid of experimenting and sharing the results of their successes, as well as failures, with other farmers. Today, they, along with their son James, raise certified organic hogs and grains, along with beef cattle. They rely heavily on an intricate crop rotation that allows them to build fertility and control weeds without chemicals. That's why it was quite a setback a few years ago when severe weather disrupted their five-year rotation, ushering in an outbreak of giant ragweed, a pest species Tom describes as a quote-unquote monster problem for both organic and conventional crop producers. But the Francins are not taking this setback sitting down. They recently hosted a Practical Farmers of Iowa field day where they demonstrated how they are using a form of hybrid rye to disrupt a weed cycle on their farm. For the Francins, crops like rye are not just a tool for crowding out weeds. They also play an important role in their long-term goal of integrating small grains into their overall crop and livestock enterprise. Research and on-farm experience shows that diverse rotations involving small grains play a key role in building soil health, which in turn makes fields more resilient. Such resiliency is becoming increasingly critical as farms grapple with extreme weather events brought on by climate change. After the field day, I talked to Tom about the role small grains play in his farm's overall success. He also described how extreme weather has in recent years become an increasingly serious problem for his farm as well as his community, which makes developing the Franson operation as a working ecosystem more critical than ever. So, Tom, we you had a great field day here where you were uh, kind of showing some of the things that you've been doing, uh, in particular with small grains. You are doing an experiment with some hybrid uh, winter rye, and you really described nicely, I think, how that has helped you deal with a couple issues on the farm. Uh, one is weed suppression, the other is uh, perhaps feed for your organic hog herd, so that you're able to, because one of the issues that farmers run into when they're trying to get more cover on the land and diversify their cropping system is trying to make it pay, frankly. The actual origin of this problem uh, is why the rag blue blue got so out of control in this farm actually goes to the drought in 2012. In 2012 here, it got so dry it killed my new seeding. So in other words, I planted the oats as I normally would, the small grains of spring, and by the middle of August, we could not find a single of our new seeding plants out there. That's how dry it was. It killed them. So I got a beef cow herd, and I'm going, what am I going to do? My crop rotation now has been fundamentally kicked in the butt, and I did the wrong thing. Well, I tried to reseed it, and then that winter killed. And now I'm going to spring with having two bouts of losing seedings, and I'm going, now what to do? So I took the ground that was supposed to go to hay and put it to corn, and took the ground that wasn't hay and let it in hay and pasture. Absolutely the wrong thing to do. I disrupted my five-year rotation, and when you disrupt a rotation and you get the right conditions, a pest like giant ragweed can really move in. And giant rag from 2012 on absolutely exploded. And so the field that we were in is a 20-acre field that I barely got uh, 30 bushel soybeans out of. Rag cut my yield in half. 
um, to try to grow, excuse me, an oats crop in that field was a total failure. They, they rag was absolutely 100% of the crop. So uh, something had to get done. And I've, the organic farmers I've talked to, um, many of us are complaining bitterly about problems of giant rag. So a year ago, we, a group of us got on a teleconference set of calls, and amongst the people on it was Matt Liebman. Um, and Matt Liebman's a, a weed scientist, and he's really sharp at Iowa State. And Matt's researched ragweed a lot. And when he got done, it was a very sobering assessment. I mean, you're dealing with a weed here that's now an evolutionary monster. Um, it's got characteristics that outruns every spring-seeded annual there is. I don't care what spring-seeded annual you can think of in the face of the earth, giant rag outruns it because of its photosynthetic abilities. So it's not to be uh, viewed as anything less than really a monster. And by the way, a monster in the chemical agriculture too because it'll evolve around herbicides very quickly too. So... Liebman shows some really interesting 20-year data on this plant. So what are we going to do? Well, you got to keep it from going to seed, but you also need to look at cultural practice. And Liebman says what you really need to do is find some fall-seeded annuals or perennials to disrupt the pest cycle. So that's in the background. We're, we're struggling with this and wondering what to do. Meanwhile, I get a call from Sarah Carlson in probably July, uh, maybe even June of 2016. And Sarah says, I can get some hybrid rice seed. And she said, you've got to use it for livestock feed. But she said, it's got some good characteristics. And it's got a very, very low irrigate problem. I thought irrigate was zero, but it's not quite that. But it's got a very low irrigate problem. Irrigate's a very serious problem in rye. So as soon as Sarah told me about this, then I called the Oberly Seed House. And they uh, were able to get me enough to plant 20 acres. And so in uh, this field that had terrible heavy giant rag, we took everything off for bedding earlier in the season, and on September 15th, I no-tilled hybrid rye into this Jap Japanese millet stubble. Um, and even though we had a terrible flood after it, um, the rye took off, um, grew real well, made a nice growth by fall, probably six inches tall by late November, um, covered the ground beautiful. And then this spring, uh, got off to a great start again, um, probably knee-high in April, um, almost waist-high in early May, and then started to head out. It's, it's waist-high or better across the whole field right now. Um, standing beautiful and fairly close to ready to combine. Yeah, and so what? Yeah, what's the process from here on out? You're going to combine it. In a, we're here, sitting here in uh, end of June. You're going to combine it in a couple of weeks, and then and then what? Yeah, what we'll do is uh, again, it's a crop we've never grown, so we'll, we'll look for the maturity point of the seed head. We're going to windrow it because I've I've always been used to windrowing things, and then but we do know that rye will absolutely increase moisture after harvest. So we're going to windrow it, and then we're going to have a combine, and then it's got to go into a bin that's got aeration. Absolutely a must. It will spoil otherwise, because rye will go from 13 to 15 percent moisture in two or three days after harvested. It's a physiology with the seed. So we'll put it in a bin, and then we're going to dry it. But then we have a long-going on-farm research with organic pigs, and we are doing a project right now with, uh, or, uh, with organic small grains in pork diets. So then we're real uh, certain that when this is harvested, we'll be putting hybrid rye into pig diets. Well, we went out there and took a look at it, and it looks like your number one goal, 
suppressing the ragweed is successful from what I can tell. Yeah, I laugh. I go up town for coffee in the morning. I'm sitting a bunch of farmers that we know each other forever. And they didn't know what the stuff was. But that one morning, <laughs> one guy says, where's the weeds? And I said, I think God took them. <laughs> They're gone. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. It, it In a field of intensely heavy giant rag, you'll only see a few very small rags down there, and they're not going to be able to make seed. We're going there, and we're going to combine. Uh, we're going to windrow and combine, and we will, we will not let them. So actually, we've, we've greatly weakened the rag stand right now because that really is a war of attrition. Uh, rags, uh, longevity of seed is low. So while it can explode on you, you can get on top of it too because it doesn't last long. Yeah. And then you've seen what's going to grow there then after you've combined it and everything? Okay, we will look for the right window and we will no-till next year's hay into the hybrid rice stubble. Okay. That's, so your number one goal was to suppress that ragweed, or I shouldn't say number one, but one of your main goals. And then the other one is this feed value. And in general, and that's one of the other things we talked about at the field day, you've really gone a long ways towards trying to use small grains as your base for your feed system for your organic hogs and that's really key because one of the arguments for the corn soybean monocultural system is well that's the only thing like hog what hogs have to have but you're really showing you've been doing this for several years that that's not necessarily the case yeah, um, Practical Farmers bought us, because we've done this research project. It's a small rented facility, about 1950s vintage. Uh, it's in nice shape. And so we've been doing on-farm research there since uh, 2013, probably actually a little bit before 2013. And so um, so we've researched uh, ivomectrin, we've researched vinegar, we researched uh, different types of swine premixes. Um, but at any rate, this year, I think it was Megan Filbert that suggested that Practical Farmers buy us an individual animal scale, which is only like $1,100. I couldn't get over what a nice scale we got for how little money. And it's got a great uh, uh, computer on it. And it, uh, it, if I understand it right, they even goes to the gal that works for us, her smartphone. So it, it's, the data there is just terrific. But that scale allows us now to do things we never did before. So we weighed these pigs to start with, and they're ear-tagged, and then we weigh them every time the feed is out. So we know our feed consumption and our gain in all these feeding intervals, plus we know the individual animals' gain. But we're laughing now because there's a pig in this group that gained 43 pounds in 14 days, which we didn't think was possible. Well, put this way, there was, there was no genetically engineered feed stuff and no... There was no antibiotics. There's no there's there's a long list of things that aren't there, but this pig is really doing really good. Yeah, he's an outlier, all right. We don't have any idea how much he's eating in a day, but we do know he put on three pounds per day, so but now when we will we'll need to do some carcass evaluations on quality because really I think the focus of this should be developing a high omega three fatty acid pork. But in order to do that you gotta get corn out of the diet. One of the things you had talked about is really trying to figure out a way to keep that land covered as long as you can. And I guess one thing, if you could take us back, going back a little bit to the hybrid rye, you really did a nice piece where you said you had really figured out what it cost to put you to put that in and kind of the economic value of it just on the front end where compared to if you put it in corn and you were, say, you weren't organic and you were trying to spray it. But you, you really got that figured out, kind of the finances of that? Yeah, I was dumbfounded. It cost me about $45 an acre for the seed. I drilled it in. Maybe give myself $15 for drilling it in. So we're up to 60 
Um, I'm going to win rope myself, try another 15, we're up to 75. I'll give a guy $35 for combine it, we're up to maybe 110. Jeepers, cats, it's in my wagon for $110 an acre. I've got no fertilizer expense, I've got no chemical expense, I've got, I don't even have federal crop insurance because I don't think it's necessary, but I did buy hail insurance. The practicality of this from the standpoint of low cost uh, should drive this, um, but also argue that we really need to patronize uh, annual, uh, fall seeded annuals and patronize that business. How else are we going to change things? Plant all spring seeded annuals forever? Yeah, that's a very good point because that is, it's like everybody talks about we need to diversify our systems, but yeah, you got to make it pay somehow. Yes, you got to make it pay. You have to have use for it. If, if this for livestock feed is a problem, I call it a benefit. Um, we have to have bedding, um, and when the ragweed ruins our oats, we get really crappy bedding. So here, after it's combined, I hope we get a nice quality straw. We certainly like we're a good volume of straw. I need every spear of it, so it really fits in well with our cropping rotation. But one of the other things you mentioned was, and we we're seeing that definitely this week because you just got such heavy rains yesterday, and it's been kind of a consistent problem here in the last few years in this region, is the idea of building that soil health and that soil tilth with that small grain cover and more continuous cover throughout the year and trying to make your farm more resilient against climate change. I mean, that sounds like that's been a real issue you've noticed here. I guess maybe first talk about, are you noticing more of that the past few years of this extreme weather situations making it harder for you to farm? Oh, absolutely. My father, even in the Depression years in the 30s, never lost his new seeding. Now we could say, I had to get so dry on heavy clay soils that it killed the alfalfa off and, and clovers and grasses completely. So call that one a 2012 delta heck of a drought. Well, then was 2013, the no plant year. Rained the entire season, and we got planted, and we got a fair crop, but I ground couldn't plant, you know. There was hundreds of thousands of acres around here. 2013 couldn't get planted. So we go from extremely wet to extremely dry. 2014 was a very tough year organically because of climate extremes. But in 2016, in July, August, and September, it rained 40 inches here. I lost track of the number of blinding, beating, flooding storms. It washed the rock off a road so bad. I'll tell you one of the effects of it. To this very day, there's a shortage of three-inch rock. They get some three-inch rock from some quarries. A lot of the quarries around here have been out of three-inch rock since last October. The first day of school, New Hampton School District could not be held last year, high water. Never saw that before. A week later, they couldn't have school again either. High water. So many roads were across, so many bridges were out, and roads were crossed. So why couldn't have school? In September? I mean, you know, so, so the, freak, the severity is terrible, and the increase in severity is terrible. What this is doing to agriculture is no joke. Anybody thinks that we can't, we have to address these things, but we can address them with spring seeded annuals. They're a part of our agricultural system, but they can't be everything. We've got to diversify that mix. Yeah, and it, it sounds like with this, you're able to, uh, and I don't think you have any research yet showing that, but it's, there is other research out there that has shown, and when you can get that diverse, diverse cropping system in there and get that root system in there, you can build that soil health in a way that it can kind of put up with it. Yeah, a good example is now, Rye is a real good soil builder. Nobody's going to argue with that. So, okay, let's use rye as a cover crop, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. 
Let's establish rye in October, and that's fine. It's grown the fall, a little bit of plant, then over the winter it's also dormancy. And the spring it starts to grow, and then it starts to make up to something in April, early May, and you kill it. Okay, that's not the end of the world. That's going to improve things. However, soil aggregate structure, its stability is directly related to the time it took to make it. So if an aggregate builds slowly, it's more durable. If it builds quickly, it's, it's, it's more perishable. But here with the hybrid rye, it established in September, and the plant is going to go to full maturity. When we cut that plant in July, it's all done living. So it's going to have everything down in the root zone that it can do. And I saw some pictures from the Arbor Lee Seed House of what its rooting system looks like, and it's really intense because it's a great nitrogen scavenger. So instead of using it as a cover crop, which might cost us money, hopefully that does pay somehow, we now have a fall seeded annual that is the feed stuff that is also going to build soil aggregate structure. You know, I just got one last thing I got to ask you, Tom, because it always strikes me whenever I visit your farm or talk to you, is how much you treat your farm as an ecosystem and how that is one of your number one goals is to kind of have the, the ecology and the ecosystem and, and make it work as an ecosystem. And that is not the norm on a lot of farms. And it, I know it's something that a lot of PFI people and LSP people talk about, but you, I just was struck yet again how that's so important to you. And so we started the tour today. I list the goal of the farm. Well, we want a profitable, diversified farm that's a pleasant farm to be with and it's healthy, that's got a stable economy and ecology. And then along with this, we had our farm motto is, we think we'll see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living, which we believe in God, and we think that we will see a prosperous life based on biological diversity. But when you think that through, pesticides and insecticides probably don't have a heck of a lot of role because... There's a role for diversity, and so there's a role for creatures, and we're here to try to manipulate those creatures in some type of fashion and make a living at the same time. I think just another thing, and not to, how old are you? I'm 65. 65, so you're still fairly young. But fairly I've, young. I've known you for quite a while, and I know you've been farming for a long time. I'm just struck at how you get really super excited about the next innovation coming down the line. You don't seem to back away from that. Well... Uh, it, this is fun, and it should be fun, and I think the focus of our field day here was fun, and I think most, most people would, would say that. But when I was working ground this spring, I thought to myself, you know, I, I'm working ground, and, the, and at this gal that works for us, I said, you know, you're not disking the ground. You're preparing the seed bed for high-yielding corn. So what matters is who follows you. So if I'm working ground, it's what's going to happen to the guy driving the corn planter. Well, the same thing with farmland transition. What you're doing is you're, you're preparing for who's going to follow you. And if you're not doing that, whether it's getting a cornfield ready or getting ready for farmland transition, both situations you're not doing your job. For more on the Land Stewardship Project's work helping farmers build healthy, resilient soils, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, 
Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.